Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I'd like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tufanganui Tara, where I'm recording today. <gasps> you know what that means. I'm home! You're home! Kissing the ground. <laughs> I'm so glad you're home. I mean, I'm so bummed you didn't actually get to Sydney, but I'm so glad you're home. I'm very bummed too. And I like, I feel really bad because I obviously love Australia and I love my parents and I love my friends, but also I'm so happy to be home. I mean, not to bang on about the theme too much, but like when you are grown up, going back to stay with your family is super difficult because they still see you as the person who left and Mm. you are however many years removed from that and i think in a way like you still see them as the people they were as well right so you haven't allowed for their growth either and it just becomes this weird in-between state i don't know the whole thing is just it's a lot and i'm glad to be home (laughs) do you have a moment of wonder this week i think for me my moment of wonder was actually just coming home and then I went straight to the office and everyone was just so happy to see me and it was just really lovely and I had lots of laughs with my colleagues and it just felt really nice to be back and talking to other people who were not my parents so that was just it made me appreciate the office environment (laughs) it was nice to have co-workers it's nice to have a place to go every day like where you need to be there and you need to show up and you have to sort of forge relationships with people that maybe you don't always like but you still have to work with also just having the option to talk to people obviously we all do procrastination while we work and when you're working from home I don't know that procrastination can be a bit empty but when you're with colleagues and you can just go over to their desk and just chat about nothing for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. I'm I'm here for it or we go out for coffee and you know that's an hour half an hour out of the day and it just fills out the day a bit more makes it a little bit more interesting oh lucky anyway so that was me. What about you? What moment of wonders did you have? Well, I think we had a really good bushwalk on Sunday. Mm. And we took the kids and it was like five and a half Ks. So it was downhill all the way going in. And I thought we would make really slow time on the way back. But it turns out that when you have an unexpected thunder shower that sleets on you, you get really fast really quick. So we ended up going Aww. up this hill and like climbing over boulders after we had been thoroughly soaked, like completely soaked. Um, at one point, my daughter's shoe got stuck and she like put her foot down and her foot came out of her shoe. And- oh no. Her foot was fine, but her shoe was just like stuck in the mud. And she was like, ah! She wasn't hurt or anything, but it was just like quite funny. Um, and then we learned that we have to take imaginary Yoshi on the hike because <laughs> imaginary Yoshi has to go between every member of the family so that you're not walking on people's heels. So it was like... Always leave room for Yoshi when you're walking. I love that. It's excellent guiding from Yoshi. Um, and as you know, also, this has been cracking me up all week, but my son has been dressing as a baby goth himself. He's been wearing all black. <laughs> he doesn't want to wear a jumper. He says, I'm so happy to be cold, but it is so cold outside. But he's wearing all black all the time, and I love it. I thought you'd appreciate that. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Black's where it's at. Apparently, he is something fiery, and I think it's based around Bowser, but I'm not sure. As Wednesday Adams would say, you know, stop wearing black when they make a darker color. I'm going to remember that. I do like black. Well, this week we read chapters five to eight through the theme of growing up. Great theme. Um, Did you have a story for us? It's not a specific story, but I'll tell it anyway. So from the time I was little, I always wanted to be grown up. Like I wanted to be older and smarter and further along than I was. I wasn't one of those kids who was like, oh no, a new school year. I was like, yes, a new school Mm -hmm. year. Like I was excited always for the future. The problem was that I was actually supremely ill-equipped for growing up. I had undiagnosed and untreated ADHD. And it's really very common for women to be underdiagnosed. So like everybody around me said, oh, you're so smart, but you're so, quote, lazy. Mm. Um, And like I was very chatty, but I really struggled to keep friends. And like all the adults that I knew thought I was really precocious, but I was super clueless about like the social dynamics around my peers. And not to mention the executive dysfunction. That was so bad. I had to develop an anxiety disorder just to cope. So that was super fun. Delightful. (laughs) I mean, it worked, but what a way to do it. Hmm. So this was my problem. I really wanted to be grown up, but I had no idea how to do the actual growing up. 
And about the time I really needed that guidance and support and reassurance, my family experienced a seismic shift in like the dynamics, which meant that all of the adults were busy looking somewhere else, and rightly so, but they just expected me to do what needed doing. Mm. And it was okay until it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But by the time it wasn't okay, I was already an adult, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of the adults that I was turning to kept reminding me that, you know, I was an adult and I needed to do this and I needed to stand on my own two feet. And because they were busy with other things and they didn't really have time for a late teen in crisis. And this is wild to me. It is wild because growing up isn't an event with like a destination. Mm -hmm. I'm still growing up. I learn new things about how to be an adult every single day. And, you know, there's a lot that I was unprepared for, but the worst thing I think was that sudden loss of support. It was like I'd been given a plan to build a house. And even though the house wasn't built by the time it was meant to be built, the scaffolding company came and took all the scaffolding away. Mm. You should be built by now. That's the plan. Other houses are built by this point. And you know, like in my house, there was like one beautifully finished room and it had like hand embroidered curtains and like a gorgeous chair. And like, maybe there was also a toilet somewhere in the house. But there was no place to put the washing machines and no walls mm. in any of the bedrooms. And we don't build houses like this. That's nonsense. But we treat growing up like it's a set of milestones we are supposed to achieve in a certain time frame. And if we don't get there by some arbitrary age, then like what? We failed? We're Peter Pan? Yeah. No, the truth is that like it just takes some of us longer. Some of us really struggle to do it in the time frame that we're given. But it's okay. Like it's okay. We have to do our best. We'll get there eventually. But I think it's really important to remember that when people are trying to grow up, it's not like straightforward for everybody. It certainly wasn't for me anyway. That is such a great analogy using the scaffolding because I think that is so true. It's kind of like, well, you've reached your deadline. So off you go. You're like Mm -hmm. 17 now and therefore you must be capable of standing on your your own two feet or whatever it is yeah what yeah it's a wild (laughs) thing and it's so interesting because it reminds me of you know a couple of years ago I was having a conversation with my mum and I was just like I don't understand when am I going to start feeling like an adult and she's like you never feel like an adult Mm. she's you know she was 54 at the time or whatever it was and she's like I still don't feel like an adult you just do the best that you can yeah which is wild it's a wild thing that we just go through life like this but society will just expect you to be something or be at a certain stage or do the next thing because that is the next thing to tick off yeah it's hard when you go through your life feeling like you're behind everybody else too yeah absolutely you see it all the time you see it with you know when they talk about the fact that they're still single when they're 30 or whatever Mm. and they're like why all my peers are in relationships and why am I behind or people would be like why do all my peers have uni degrees and I don't and I'm so far behind everyone else and it's you do things in your own time there is no timeline except the one you set yourself exactly the only competition is ourselves yeah it's very important to remember that I wish I had like really deeply ingrained that as a child I'm working on that with my kids to tell them like you only compete with yourself that's so good you can only be better than you were yesterday there's no other person in that equation yeah and as long as you keep being a better version of yourself then that is gross so exactly so what did you think about the chapter should we oh should we go through the summary Oh, yes, let's do the summary. So um, Kath and Regan are friends now, which is delightful for Levi, who comes over all the time to hang out. Kath worries about her dad, but Ren is a jerk to her and it makes her feel worse. Abel, Kath's nondescript high school boyfriend, dumps her over the phone and Ren is nice about it. Kath and her writing partner from class, Nick, work on a story together in the library and Levi walks Kath home. It was a good couple of chapters. I have a lot of feelings. Okay, okay, I love this. (laughs) Um, The thing that I actually wanted to talk about first with this idea of growing up is the struggle between your interests being young adult and you having to be an adult. Mm. Because I think we see this a little bit with Kath. Obviously, she's got this massive online fandom. She is into this thing that everyone was into when they were kids. Yeah. But there's this expectation that she shouldn't be as into it as she is. Because Regan says to her, and like Regan's lovely and she does, she, I don't think she actually judges Kath. She's just making a throwaway comment where she's like, can you wear a t-shirt that's not Simon Snow so people don't think you stopped developing when you were seven? <laughs> Regan is so mean. Um, <laughs> I really love her. And I also love when she's like, um, what do you mean when you write them? No, actually, I don't want to know. It's already hard <laughs> enough to look you in the eyes. Like, like she's so, oh, you and the Simon Snow thing. It's weird. You've got busts on your desk. What is going on? Why are there posters? Fan posters as well, not like official posters. Kath seems to not care. Like she still wears all her Simon Snow t-shirts. Like she seems real chill with her fandom until Ren is mean about it. Yeah. Then she sort of spirals a little bit. Yeah, I think that was more to do with Ren being unkind. And I know Kath doesn't really understand that, but this is about Ren. Ren is pushing Mm. back really hard on all 
all of these things because she feels like she needs to distance herself from who she was in order to grow up. And I actually wanted to mention something. Ren doesn't discuss their dad. Like, she just pretends he doesn't exist. So Mm -hmm. at some point, Ren and Levi meet, and she's explaining that their mother didn't know she was having twins. She had only picked out one name, Catherine, and then decided to just split it between the two girls, like Catherine and Ren. And Levi's like, oh, you have a mother and a sister. What else are you hiding? And she says, "Uh, five cousins and a string of ill-fated hamsters called Simon. They have a dad who is their primary parent. They haven't seen their Mm. mother in a decade, but no mention of that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like Ren is resentful of her dad almost because he needs too much from them, I think. He's too fragile in a way because when Kath talks about Abel and her relationship with Abel because he's just broken up with her and, you know, she said it was never going to be like dad and mum if Abel ever got tired of me. I would survive it. Yeah, so the idea that when their mother left, obviously it sent their dad into a massive spiral Mm. and he would have been a mess. And I don't know if Ren has got some resentment there. Oh, she absolutely does. I think the way that I see these girls is that Kath's anxiety and OCD are like present always. Mm. Like they're a part of who she is, but that's also how she processes the world. Whereas Ren goes around acting as if she's normal, but she's actually got a lot of issues as well. Mm. But she just wants to pretend that she doesn't so that she doesn't have to think about them. Yeah, it's like if I just pretend it's not there, then they don't exist, right? Mm. But then she's engaging in this really performative growing up thing by getting drunk and having this horrible roommate and doing this dumb diet and all these things. And I think just the way that Kath tries to have these conversations with her, like, have you checked in on dad? And like, Ren's just like, we're not talking about this. Ren is burying the part of herself that she doesn't want to come with her to college. Whereas Kath is still that person. She still knows who she is and what she wants. Yeah, and Kath is not, you know, she is anxious and she is uncertain of her place and she has all these issues but she is confident in those issues if that Mm. makes sense Mm -hmm. like she knows that that's who she is she knows that's what that's what she has that doesn't make her necessarily a confident person but she's confident in what she is yeah in a way that Ren just isn't she's just self-medicating essentially Mm, yeah to get through I worry about Ren even though I've read this book that drunken conversation was just really hard to read Well, and it's because you know that she's just being awful. She's literally doing this to push Kath away. And she's saying all of the things that are really going to hurt Kath. And it's just Mm. vindictiveness. I mean, it's not maybe to hurt Kath. It's maybe just to put the distance between Kath and who she used to be for Kath. But I I mean, Kath doesn't put up with it. I really love that Kath knows her boundaries and is like, I'm not going to go have lunch with her. I'm not going to talk to her. She ignores her phone call the next day. She's like, no, this isn't worth dealing with. Yeah, and I wonder how long she would have gone on ignoring Rain if Abel had not broken up with her. Because mm. that was the yeah. first point of contact they have again is when Abel calls Kath to break up with her and then she messages Rain. Yeah. And we need to talk about the breakup because I think that's another growing up moment. Yeah, Abel is a jerk. Imagine telling someone someone else's SAT <laughs> scores on so a breakup. Bad. and like... Oh, she's two points smarter than are you kidding me? I oh, love mate. I love Kath's response. What am I supposed to do with that information? Offer her a scholarship? <laughs> <laughs> I hate how he just minimizes it being like, you know, it's not like we were really together. This isn't a breakup. It is because you felt the need to call her. Like if you didn't think it was really a relationship, you wouldn't have bothered. Exactly. He's told himself this because he doesn't want to be the bad guy. Yeah. And then this is how he gets around it. And then also asking her to come to Thanksgiving. It's like he's gaslighting, but he's not doing it to control her. He's just trying to save his own perception of himself, I think. Yeah. He's rewriting the story for himself because in his his own story he is not the bad guy and he's not the kind of guy who would break up with someone over the phone mm. but you know now that he's met this Katie girl and he's like oh this is what I'm supposed to feel I'm just gonna break up with Kath and, and like he should have just been honest and been like I've been talking to this girl and like I think it might go somewhere and we haven't really been close for a while and the long distance is hard and I don't think it's gonna work there's so many various you options you don't even have to bring up anyone else like it's fine it doesn't sound like they're on Facebook so and I mean it's not been that long she hasn't been at college that long so he He's only, and he started a little bit after her. So he's met this Katie girl very recently. Yeah. Not that it's Katie's fault. I just want to clarify. No, it's, it's not, not Katie's, Katie's fault. fault. But like he lied to her. He lies to her, which really bugs me. He says, oh, I told her we drifted apart. Yeah. So you've already lied to Katie. Yeah. Not cool. I do like that. Ren's like, I always told you he, you were, he wasn't a real boyfriend and you never liked him like that. 
that. I do like that Ren basically shows up and is supportive. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that, you know, Kath isn't necessarily upset, but she's embarrassed. Yeah. And she says on page 78, I'm embarrassed that I held on for so long that I really thought we could go on like we were. And it's because he is safe. She specifically says he made me feel safe. And then that thing about, you know, if he got tired of me, I'd survive it. He was just a safe bet. And it's like, okay, I'm going through the motions. I want to have a boyfriend or I think that this is the thing that we have to do. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to get hurt. He's not going to hurt me. Yeah, exactly. Neither of them really let each other in well enough to be hurt by it, which is sad. But also, like, so I think I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. Do you think she knew that she and Abel weren't really like in love? Or do you think she only knows that in hindsight? Well, in the previous section, she sort of said to Ren, oh, you know, he's not at end table. She was very against that. She did think that they were in a relationship. Mm -hmm. But I think in a way she was lying to herself. And now that he's out of the picture, she can be honest about the fact that it wasn't maybe real. Like Ren says to her, you know, you know love better than anyone basically because you write about it. You write about passion and all these things. And she says, oh, it's fantasy. Because she hasn't experienced it herself. Right. And I love that. Ren's absolutely right that she deserves the kind of love that she writes for Simon and Baz for herself. Mm, yeah, I think it's really interesting because when I think about myself, when I was in high school, or like, you know, how old is Kath? 19? 18, 19? 18. So I didn't date in high school. I wasn't really interested in anyone. I found everyone abhorrent, which would be shocking to everyone who knows me. And there's something performative about it. So all the kind of guys that I did end up dating it was because I felt like I kind of had to Mm. it was like oh this guy is into me he's not you know I'm not against him whatever like you know he's fine he's tolerable yeah he'll he'll do and then you end up going on these dates with these men and you're like oh lord get me out of here and then you change your phone number and pretend you move countries because that's a healthy coping mechanism don't do that children don't ghost people taken me a while but I've grown up enough to know that now I mean you can just say I am not in a place where I'm ready to keep dating I'm so sorry you don't you don't owe anybody an explanation remember it's only a lie if it's their business and you also don't owe people your time so Mm. just because you've been on one date or two that doesn't mean you have to keep going just because he looks at you in that dumb way that they look at you you can just be like no thank you I've had enough absolutely when I think about Kath and Abel that's the way I view it I think I see him being like into her and she being like oh all right fine and now she's gone along with it and it isn't offensive it isn't not nice it's just it's just the thing it just is yeah and now she's been on this journey with him and it's like now it's ended because he's found someone else he should have just changed his number and pretended he left the country (laughs) yeah that's fine guys it works (laughs) um okay so yeah i agree abel not great but then another bit of growing up, I think, is once she jettisons Abel, or he jettisons her, I guess. She does hang up on him, which I loved. And she's like, this is done. I'm done with this part of my life. Then she describes herself as boy crazy, <sighs> which I kind of love. She's like, on page 88, she says, ever since Abel had broken up with her, ever since Nick had started sitting next to her, Kath kept noticing things, mm. which I think is also growing up, yeah, right? Yeah, this is not to say that being ace or aromantic is like you don't ever grow up or something that's infantilizing and incorrect but it is saying that a lot of the time part of the hallmarks of growing up is when you start to be like oh and you do start Hmm. to notice that but I can sympathize with Kath on the not wanting to experience anything outside of the ordinary and being like what I love when she says she's not interested in lips out of context I love that (laughs) oh man I think we've talked about this before. Guys who complain about being friend zoned, I'm like, there's no other zone. You can't, like, you, you don't get to be in a relationship with me unless you're my friend. <laughs> like, I really like that, yeah. There is no other zone. Just be a friend first. Why don't people put the energy into just being good friends? I know. Why does it always have to have some sort of payoff at the end? Some sexy time payoff? Isn't the payoff the friendship, though? Like, Can't you just be nice? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think my husband is extremely cute, but I didn't marry him for, like, all of the romancy times. I married him because I wanted to build a life with him because he, first and foremost, is my best friend. Like, he's still the person that, when I feel crappy, he's the one I will tell things to. Hmm. Like, that's the whole point. The whole point is that we have this life together and we're raising these children together. And, like, nobody else in my life will actually listen to me talk about my kids as much. Like, you think I talk about them a lot with you, Jen? You have no (laughs) idea. I will marvel for hours about how cool they are. And my husband will marvel right back because we're both like, oh, my gosh, they're so neat. You you just think they're neat. I do. I think they're neat. Look, I mean, being a best friend is like the whole point of a partner. It should be someone that you want to, you really want to spend your life with and your time with. Mm. Sexy times are completely separate in so many ways. Like that's like a bonus. 
And maybe growing up is realizing that. Maybe part of growing up is being able to separate out, like, this person's really hot, but also this person is not someone I want to spend more than 10 minutes in the same room with. Just on this topic of hotness, isn't it interesting that Levi remarks on Ren's hotness? Yeah. The one thing I will say about Rainbow Rowell's characters is that none of them are, like, schmoopy perfect. They're all deeply flawed and very realistic. And this is where Levi is, like, really trying to pay Kath a compliment without paying Kath a compliment because he doesn't want to spook her, but he also wants to say, like, you're cute, but it just lands so bad. Yeah, I don't know. There's something skeezy about it as well. Like, he goes to sit on the bed next to Red and, you know, Kath says, don't get charm all over my sister, Mm. that sort of thing. And then he's like, wow, that's your twin. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. There's something about it that just made me feel a bit But then she says, it makes me feel like I'm the ugly one. You're identical twins. I think Kath is aware that Ren needs to distinguish herself as being like the more attractive one. That's important to Ren because she mentions it later that she doesn't want them coming to the library when she's writing with Nick because she doesn't want him to meet her prettier, skinnier twin. And she says that she notices that Ren doesn't contradict the prettier, skinnier part. But they are literally identical. Like their clothes are still Mm. fitting the same way because Kath looks and is like, nope, they're still fitting the same way. The only difference Mm. is the haircut. Yeah, and they wear slightly different clothes. Like so Ren is more, I guess, fashion forward, whereas Kath is more the t-shirt and jeans type. I am also the t-shirt and jeans type, Kath. I getcha. And I always have a ponytail or a ponytail holder. Can't go wrong. Mm, Exactly. Get that hair up and out of the face. (laughs) This is why my hairdresser says, why would you grow your hair out? You're just going to put it in a ponytail. (laughs) He's so adamant about it. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you growing it out? You're just going to put it in a ponytail. You're not doing anything. Then you can put it in a ponytail. This is the whole point. I wanted to talk to you about boundary setting because I think Kath is quite good at enforcing her boundaries. She enforces her boundaries with Levi and Regan when they want her to go out and she doesn't want to go out. Whether she should or not is besides the point. Like, you know, Regan says you're just a sad little hermit and maybe it would be good for her to go out and experience life a bit but she wants to stay at home. And she's good at saying, no, I'm going to do that. And when they want her to go to a party, she's like, no, I'm going to go home. I've already been bowling with you. I'm going to go home. So I think that is really mature and grown up. Yeah, she knows her limits, but she also is willing to try, which is really Mm. good because she does Mm. let Regan drag her to bowling because Regan's like, willing to bully her into it Mm. i think the flip side of the boundaries is that she is willing to let a few people nudge her toward growth so regan is one of the people who's in with her already like regan got past that Mm. initial like i'm just gonna say what i think and you're gonna be fine with it and kath can respect that so they actually get along really well Mm. but that means that kath actually has someone now who's gonna be more successful at kind of pulling her out of her shell than she would otherwise have been yeah she's not great at maintaining a boundary with her dad though That's where it sort of falls Mm. apart a little bit. She worries about him. There's no one else there. Yeah, and so she calls him all the time and messages him all the time. She has a legitimate reason to worry. Well, he says, you know, you've left me too many messages. You shouldn't be calling me or even thinking about me. You're in college now. Move on. (laughs) On page 62. It's like, wow, dad. It's just school, dad. It's not like we have irreconcilable differences. Kath is so unassuming, but she's so quick. She's so clever. When she actually Mm. says things, like she's 100% on top of it. And I think this is why Nick kind of hasn't sized her up, really. Yeah, okay. I've got a whole thing about Nick. Nick is so annoying. Nick reminds me of every pseudo-intellectual boy in my master's Mm -hmm. writing classes who just thought they were so edgy. Like, Kath describes him as writing grittier, grimier things, and he turns everything into a love story. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure there's a manic pixie dream girl as the protagonist in every one of his dumb stories. And, like, she says that he's actually quite a good writer, which I think is very kind of her, because I would have just dismissed his talent straight out of the gate, because Mm -hmm. he's annoying, so I don't care if he's a good writer. He's just pretentious. I hate that he doesn't do his job properly like yes. he leaves all those books for yes, the morning that girl me too. that's very immature there's just a lot of red flags yeah. with this man and then he doesn't he never walks Kath anywhere he just leaves her outside the library in the dark multiple times he's just always talking about himself always trying to make her read his writing always hogging mm-hmm. the notebook he is selfish oh and then she says oh you know what for a second she thought about telling him the truth about Simon and Baz about a chapter a day and 35,000 hits and he would be so judgmental yep. and dismissive of that I can just see how demoralizing that conversation would be and I just I hate him I hate him I think you're meant to like think that he's interesting but I don't trust him I don't find him interesting at all like I've been around so many guys like this I think when I was that age though I would have found that very interesting because it's someone who is very confident in themselves and their approval's really exciting and intoxicating so suave and so part of Kat's growing up will be having to decide 
how she's going to feel about what she will make of their relationship and like what it will become. Mm. There's another Rainbow Rowell book called Attachments and the main character, Beth, is in love with someone, Chris, and they've been together for 12 years or something. But the way that Beth describes, she used to go and sit near him at the student union every Tuesday and Thursday for an entire semester and just like breathe the same air as him because he was so amazing and intoxicating. And then like at the end of the semester, he said, I'm going to have a different day for class so we should probably actually figure out when we're going to do this. And like he's been noticing her the whole time but never lets on and it's that same sort of like mm-hmm. like you're trying to capture their interest and you just can't get it so there's something in that like pursuit maybe but Kat feels like she's being treated as an equal which I think is really important to her yeah it doesn't downplay her ideas in a way that is obvious yeah I do think he treats her as an equal and that he actually is va- he values her opinion about his writing and I don't think that's in a kind of I like it because she hero worships mm. me when he shows up with paragraphs already written she goes through and yeah. rewrites them and puts her own spin on things and she doesn't really take that nonsense from him which he probably enjoys I bet he hasn't had a lot of women do that quite frankly. I agree. So that's probably intriguing to him. And also she challenges him in a way that is important for him because mm. he is very interested in, you said pseudo-intellectual, but I do think he is actually quite interested in becoming a better writer yeah, because he does yeah. talk about, like he has to do it his way, but he's challenging Kath in a way she hasn't been challenged before. So there's value in that for her. Yeah. But then she challenges him right back and he just laughs and goes with it. Yeah, it's the growing up he still mm-hmm. needs to do. He's still in that kind of pretentious, like it's not pseudo-intellectual, it's pretentious intellectual phase. You know, he's sitting there, he's being like, oh, I don't agree with this per se and smoking clove <laughs> cigarettes and I don't know, reading him away under the trees. Like that's what it is. It's, you know, he's, yeah, you know, he's reading Howl and thinks he's very interesting yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. I have a lot of feelings about Nick because I had a Nick of my very own, but he wasn't quite as Nick-like, thank goodness. Can we talk about Levi? Can we talk about how Levi is so out there and charming and lovely? I just have a lot of feelings about this guy. Kind about everyone. Kind to everyone. I love that he drew on his own shirt that said Strikeout King. That was cute. He's very wholesome. And I like that he and Regan are good friends. I think that Kath thinks Regan is always cheating on Levi, but Levi's just very unabashed in how affectionate he is with Regan. Like, he just likes her. Yeah, it's just a really close friendship, mm-hmm. right? Kath's reading something into it because she's probably not seen a friendship like that well, before. Well, they do have history. They were each other's, like, first major significant others. So yeah. So there's that intimacy there of people who've, like, been in a relationship and then broken up but gotten past that weirdness to get back to a good friendship mm. i just love levi so much and i think that he he's just so genuine and he just wants to be he wants to do the right thing and be the right person and he's excited about the things he's excited about i know there's no pretension there right and there's no ulterior mm. motive he's just doing things because it's the right thing to do because he wants to do it because it's kind it's not because he wants something he's from just people. interested in everybody mm. which is nice it's nice to see but i would find it maddening as well and i think that i would also be like stop being charming yeah i'd just be like stop talking to everyone i I can't this is gonna take forever if we can't go anywhere if you have to talk to everyone um i think that part of growing up is being able to acknowledge that you don't know stuff yet right so like whatever the maturity Mm -hmm. equivalent of the opposite of the dunning-kruger effect is right so like kath is starting to realize she doesn't know very much about nebraska outside of having lived in omaha which is a city and she doesn't really know that you need health insurance like she knows but she also doesn't really know like you know she gets reminders that she's young because levi and regan are older and nick is older so she's kind of got a friendship circle that's two years ahead of her which Mm. means she does feel very naive but part of growing up is realizing that you have more work to do and more to learn so I think that's really great I love that she's actually like spending time going across the spectrum of the college experience rather than just Mm. being like I'm at another drunk freshman party woo how unique and interesting although she hasn't been to any freshman parties it's okay Ren's going to all of them (laughs) Um, do you think that her explosion as a big name fan, do you think her feeling of obligation toward her fandom has contributed to her feeling more grown up or is it more of a stressor? Yeah, I sort of saw that with the boundary setting as well. So she obviously feels a lot of pressure. They're very demanding. Mm. And she writes this little update being, you know, I have to admit that college is hard and I'm probably not going to update it as much as I used to, which I think is good. It's positive. Mm. It's proactive. But there's that whole bit where she talks about fan entitlement. So Kath's fans are so demanding and there's something really problematic about this side of fandom 
Anyway, regardless of this book, this is something that I've always yeah. thought myself. So on page 50, she says, you know, all these people she didn't know who expected things from her and questioned her decisions. Sometimes they even turned against her. They trash her on other fan sites, saying Kath used to be good, but she'd lost the magic. That her Baz was too canon or not canon enough. That her Simon was a prude. That she overwrote Penelope. And then she'd spiral and like start to freak out and Ren would talk yeah. her down. I think wearing that expectation on your shoulders at such a young age is immense and even though it's just mm. fan fiction in inverted commas it's not though because it's thirty-five thousand people who have an opinion on something that you're yeah, producing and that like that's enormous i actually do want to talk about this a little bit because i i had a bit of a following as a content creator for quilting for a while and it wasn't like significantly mm-hmm. huge but it was enough that if i was shopping at a fabric store people might go oh hey internet name and i would have no idea who they mm. were and that was super overwhelming for me and i like people i enjoy talking to people i will approach mm. strangers and compliment their dress like that is me i am the levi most of the time but that was really overwhelming for me so i can't imagine what it would be like to have that much more plus an anxiety disorder plus like i mean she's yeah. going through a lot and she's still updating heaps but she even says like it's not you know it's not how it was when she was younger when they were just writing for each other or writing for their friends or writing like fix to make each other smile like she's grown out of this ability to have a small role in fandom she's outgrown that and i think there's something that she really misses about it i see this all the time because i am active in various fandoms and you will see people be like oh you know i'm really sorry i follow a bunch of streamers even though i don't Mm. watch streaming videos games whatever but i follow some streamers on twitter and they'll be like sorry no stream tonight i'm really busy life is too hard i cannot imagine feeling so obligated to have to tell a bunch of strangers on the internet that hey i can't stream tonight because i don't know why do i need an excuse maybe i just don't want to but they always have to have an excuse it's like my cat is sick or this has happened or i got stuck at work or this like this thing that you did because you loved it because it was a hobby now you have this obligation and people are mean Mm. and demanding and sometimes they like harass you and these people have to move because fans have found out where they live or have doxxed them or something scary it can be really scary to be a big name fan i think it's horrific as a fan creator because you are doing this like she's not getting paid although i do laugh when she's talking about putting the disclaimer being like these characters belong to jim and t leslie because every time someone does that in fan fiction i'm like guys what do you think this is actually Mm -hmm. protecting you from like this little disclaimer that you've written here yeah doesn't actually mean anything but sure whatever we'll pretend it's because of Anne Rice. It's Anne Rice's fault, basically. But yeah. Good old Anne Rice. But anyway, um, I just can't imagine doing it and doing it for the joy of something, not getting paid, mm. and then getting the same amount of harassment that, say, an author would get. Yeah. Because authors get this as well. Like, anytime an author puts out a book, you're going to have someone be like, this is not where I think this series oh was going, gosh. and you have not given me the conclusion that I think this series should it have. It just makes me so crazy. And especially when you get authors who've planned it all out beforehand, like... Do you think they just looked at what you wanted and went, nah, I'm going to let Harry Potter fan 666 dictate my series end and do it the opposite way because I want to spite them personally? It's interesting because I've done a lot of research in this. I wrote a essay for a collection a number of years ago about fan entitlement, essentially, and Torchwood Mm. because I was really into Torchwood, as you may remember, and... They released that absolutely soul-destroying third season that upset everyone in the world ever. And the fan backlash as a result of that. And I feel like in television, there is a bigger expectation that the fans' opinions will be taken into account. Because as we've discussed before, sometimes television creators, because the story's not finished, they'll almost subvert the expectation will be like, oh, fans are seeing where we're going, so therefore we will no longer go Oh, they go definitely there. do and that. Pivot. What was I just reading? Um, so I know they did that with Game of Thrones. They 100% did that with Game of Thrones. But there was another show they did that with where everybody was guessing and they were like, oh, well, if everyone's guessing, we better change it. Was it WandaVision? I think it was WandaVision. Oh, or they changed maybe. some of the ending or they changed. And it was just like, don't. If you people are guessing, it means you're on the right track. It means you're telling the story correctly. The story doesn't have to be shocking for it to be good, right? People, it doesn't have to be a surprise. It doesn't need to have shock value. I really rail against people who go after authors for not telling the story the way they think it should have been told because I think the author knows what they're doing, but I am myself guilty of getting mad at television (laughs) shows when they don't go the way I think they're supposed to be going. So then it's like, what is the difference between these two things? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Fans are entitled. (laughs) 
is what I'm saying. I think you're onto something there. I do agree that there's a lot of fan entitlement. And it does seem like most of the people who interact with Kath are nice to her. Like, they're actually excited about it. So she doesn't feel as threatened. Like, she hasn't been treated so badly that she's done, which I think would not be surprising at all. Like, if she just stopped one day because she was like, I can't do it. That seems like something that would be legitimate. For and I do think that pressure would also kind of stifle your creativity. I think I've definitely seen this sometimes. You know when you're reading a fic and it just never gets finished and you're like, oh, I guess we're never hearing from this person ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, so she could just be like, actually, this is too much pressure on me. I, I don't have creativity. Like it stifles your creativity because there's too much expectation. So I think she's an incredibly resilient writer to keep yeah. doing what she's doing. Like that's a lot of pressure to write under. If I say to myself, I'm going to write every day, sometimes I don't manage to do it sensibly i can't put that on myself i can't work under that kind of pressure even if it's just my own pressure if i'm like i'm gonna write every day that's too much for me i have to scare myself into writing <laughs> surprise myself be like oh i'm, I'm writing anything. i'm not i'm just opening my laptop i'm not opening a word document nope not happening Mm-mm. yeah don't don't make eye contact with it oh what's what's this oh it's a, it's a, a writing mm. it's happening one of the ways i used to write was every morning i would wake up and just reach for my laptop first thing and that was always so lovely because when you're half asleep it's just all very like fuzzy Mm. and you can't really like there's no filter so you just write what comes out and it's really terrible but it does warm you up more effectively um but now i write before bed so i have the achievement Mm. or i have the dual achievement of i do write every day even if it's just like 50 words and 10 minutes of editing but also now when i open my laptop and open scrivener i get a little tired conditioned (laughs) yourself amazing it's not great for when i want to sit down and do like three or four hours of solid writing because then i'm like hmm a nap sounds great (laughs) time for a sleep oh goodness Mm, fan entitlement not here for it even though I am a fan and I am entitled. But this is the thing. So you are entitled within your discussions of other people who are also in the fandom. You will sometimes text me and be like, can you believe this decision was made about this particular show? And I'll be like, I know it's nonsense. But that's us DMing, right? This is not like you going on to <clears throat> knocking on the door of JK Rowling's charming Scottish cottage and being like, hey, listen. Yeah, or I don't leave snarky Goodreads reviews, which I've noticed quite a few of, of people just being like, this person is terrible and I don't like them. I'm like, that's not a book review. What are you doing? So if you don't like an author, like if you don't like an author, this is, um, Mama Jen has some advice. Just say nothing. Just say nothing. You don't have to say anything. You can just say, I didn't enjoy the book if you really feel like you need to say something about it. If there's a content warning that you didn't understand, maybe put that in the review oh, this book dealt with this difficult Mm. thing. And I really didn't realize that at the time. So I'm just letting everyone know this is part of it. But you don't have to say anything else. It's weird how just because some, like, there's this expectation, oh, this person is, I don't like this person, and therefore no one else is allowed to Mm. like this person or their work. And we've spoken about this before, like, just because a text is problematic does not necessarily mean that it is without value. So, yeah, and that's part of treating a text as sacred is not that, like, it's perfect. Because no text is. Everything is is. problematic. But it's what we take from it, what we learn from it. Like, how much of ourselves we're willing to engage with it in order to learn more about ourselves. So every text that we treat as Mm. sacred is something that we can then use to further our understandings of ourselves and the world. Part Mm. of that's the practice of doing this every week. And part of that's realizing that, like, an actual human person wrote the text that we're reading. And they come with their own context and their own reality and their own time. and Their own education and effort and background and current circumstances and all of that affects the way that they are able to write. And maybe that is growing up as well because we were talking about that Maggie Stiffarder piece she posted mm. about young adult fiction and new adult, which I didn't realize was a thing <laughs> until that came out. Like, what is new adult? But this idea that she was saying that the difference is that for some readers, they'll read an argument and for them it'll be a breakup. But if you're a mature reader you don't read a breakup in an argument you read Mm. an argument you know there's this different way of perceiving conflict in a text because of your own life experience so I think this kind of approach to authors or approach to text sometimes can be influenced by how grown up you are I guess or what your life experience is because you allow more you can read it in context to your own experiences and I think that's some of the beauty of fandom is that a lot of the fandoms I'm in are older women Mm. it's the women who are in their 30s and 40s and who've lived and who've done these things so I find myself returning to their fix again and again because we have a shared understanding of like what it's like to be an adult so to speak and like have that experience to make those deeper more meaningful stories which I really love it's really rare 
that you get an author who's young and has that depth of mature like right now I can only think of one off the top of my head who was like young and published early and was able to like really knock it out of the park and that's Hannah Kent Mm, yeah, but I mean she's a relentless researcher too so almost everything she has written I believe is like grounded in a historical event that she's then flushed out around it so like an amazing an amazing researcher an amazing writer but that's like one who was young and published that I was like yeah okay this person's practically a genius and again it comes down to that pressure thing because sometimes people get published quite young and it just adds as a writer it adds to this immense pressure you feel being like oh I'm never going to get published because it's a nightmare but also you feel like you should be published Mm. by now even though most people get published later on in life but then you've got your Christopher Paolini's or whatever his name is who got published when he was like 14 with the Aragon series right or 16 or whatever he was and then they don't publish again for years and years and years because I cannot imagine publishing something that is really successful that young and then having to write something else like no thank you yeah I think that would (laughs) have been terrifying for me I mean when I was younger I definitely wanted to be an author capital A author. And now I'm like, do I want to just write for my friends? That outward recognition is not as important as making sure I make something for myself that is what I want it to be. That's lovely. I think you should write for yourself first. Yeah, that, like that's what, the best thing about my writing to me is that I enjoy reading it back. That's nice. I love that. It's like me reading this fic that mm. I've been writing and I read it all the time and I just read this fic and then I'm like, I should just finish it. What am I doing? I just stop reading this fic. If you finish it, you can start another one that makes you feel just the same way. I think I just need to finish it because, like, I can just keep writing it forever. And it's like, no, just draw a line. Draw a line and move on. Um... I want to talk a little bit about identity, Mm. our overarching theme. And specifically, something that jumped out at me is that Levi calls Kath Little Red. Yeah. So he gives her this little nickname. And then she calls herself Little Red when she's in the library and she's feeling a bit embarrassed Mm. with Nick. And there's a way to, like, center herself. She refers to herself as Little Red. So she's almost immediately, yeah, she's immediately absorbed this identifier that Levi has given her. Yeah, I do love that whole conversation they had where Regan was like, just let him walk you. If something happens to you now, it'll be all our fault and I can't take the pain. I don't have time for it. Like, Regan is so good at just making it enough about her that it's funny and you let her boss you around. Mm, It's an art form. I I also noted that and I I think it came through a lot in the audiobook too because I was listening to it as I was walking yesterday. I walked 5Ks yesterday just for fun. So I was listening to the audiobook. The way that Levi saunters and ambles and strolls everywhere, and he's so chill. Like, he's just kind of a dork, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here for that. A limmy dork. Lots of limbs. He gangles. (laughs) I like that Kath likes him well enough now that she can pick on him a bit and also be very frank with him. Before, her brain was stuck on intruder alert, right? And now it's like, Mm -hmm. fine, you can come in, but I'm going to study in silence. Like, she doesn't put up with him anymore because she's comfortable enough to be a bit snappish and brusque. But I do think that there's something to the fact that she internalizes that comment of his and then uses it as like, okay, I want to be more like the Huntsman because after all, Regan is the Mm. big bad wolf. I think that's all I had. I I thought it was really interesting. Can we talk about how Kath was so embarrassed about being boy crazy? She didn't want to tell anybody about it because I love that. She was Mm. just like, no, that was never (laughs) a problem for me. Do you have that where like a new feeling and you're like, "Mm, I'm very suspicious. I don't know what to do about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm suspicious of all my feelings. No, that's not true. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm a chronic oversharer and a constant mystery to everyone around me. I don't know how those two things go together, but yet somehow they do. It's because we project an illusion of cool that is probably not really there, but other people see it. It's quite bizarre. So there was something at work the other day and someone said to me, you're just like the coolest person I know. And I'm like, how? Where? What? Where? Where is this person? I don't understand. But okay, never mind. Because I just voice every feeling that I have. But it's because you know who you (laughs) are and you know what you like and you're willing to say it. Like that, I think projecting an aura of confidence is just really knowing who you are and what you want. I'm just, I feel like I'm the classic example of just if you start telling you, if you start believing your own hype, then suddenly you just become your own hype. I was like, oh, well, everyone tells me I'm cool and amazing. So I guess I must be cool and amazing. And now I just act like that. But you are cool and amazing. I don't see the problem. (laughs) I don't know. I'm veering on arrogance now, but it's okay because I'm a Slytherin. Just so lean it's into fine. it. Oh my gosh. We went out for team drinks and we were talking about Hogwarts houses, as you mm. inevitably do. And my supervisor was like, well, obviously I'm a Hufflepuff. You know, imagine being a Slytherin and admitting it. Like anyone would want to be an a-hole like that. And I was like, excuse me, I'm a Slytherin. And he was like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, it's okay. I know that I'm a jerk. It's fine. No, it's not it. about being a jerk. It's about <laughs> being intolerant of unacceptable things. Correct. I think Slytherins are quicker to draw the line. I just cracked me up. I was like, who would admit to being a Slytherin? And then, of course, problem child Jen in the corner was like, um, me? 
I love that. <laughs> I probably would have said I was too, especially if it were an annoying person. I would have been like, oh yes, I'll take one for this team. <laughs> um, we've spoken a little bit about this before, but just another thing about identity mm. is just Kath's anxiety and how that is a function yeah. of her identity and how that's sort of folded into her own identity. Because she says on page 58, Kath didn't feel her real self was buried under eight layers of fear and diagnosable anxiety. So she's very aware of her own yeah. anxiety and she knows how to manage it because after the call with Abel, she has this whole thing where she's like takes a slow breath and tries to center herself and she says like it feels like something too big was hatching inside of her ribs and so I just noted that because obviously I think that it's going to be more of a thing as we keep going in the novel so yeah just something for us to be aware of anyway um did you have any in-depth marginalia I did have some um my in-depth marginalia is on page 88 and it's just after Kath has admitted that she did we choose the same section and she's oh my gosh I hope not (laughs) Yeah, we, I think we chose the same section. I don't know if we chose the exact same so marginalia. Good. We're going to find out. Um, so my bit is the line where she says, when she sat behind him in class, she could see the muscles in his left shoulder sliding under his shirt. Is it the same? Did no. you choose that as well? Okay, no. great. So this is her observing Nick. Like she's now aware of Nick in a way that she wasn't before because now she's on the market, even though I hate that. Um, and now suddenly she's noticing things that she I don't she probably noticed before but she wasn't allowed to notice it because she was in a relationship yeah, or like, right so now she's yeah, seeing it yeah I think this relates to the theme because it's obviously a, a, an element of growing up is this idea that you are noticing people in a way that maybe you didn't mm-hmm. notice them before and you're thinking things that maybe you didn't think before it definitely reminded me of being in university because I would sit in lecture halls and there was one particular guy who I called Mohawk Boy. I don't know what his name was. He was in a lot of my classes. He had a Mohawk and he had lots of hair, like um, lots of paint on his hands at all times. He was obviously Ooh. a painter. And so he was always covered in paint and he was into punk Mohawk. We should have given away wearing, you know, Operation Ivy shirts and like cool punk shirts. And I would sit behind him with my folder with all my punk stickers on my folder and I would just watch him for three hours in this lecture hall. I think the first time I spoke to him was at our graduation when I said, you can cut in line with me because he walked past. And that is the only time I ever spoke to him in three years. But that's just what this reminds me of is this idea that you are just sitting, you're aware of people. You're kind of like in the zone where you don't have anything else to do. So you're watching people and then you're like, you start to notice things about them. You know, so she's noticing the muscles and his left shoulder sliding under his shirt, which, you know, is a nice thing to notice. So, yeah. And it somehow reminded me a little bit of 10 Things I Hate About You as well. I don't know. It's just like something about when you start to notice someone in a way that you hadn't noticed them before. That's one of the best movies. Just going to think about Heath Ledger for a minute. It's so good. I did a quiz the other day about a BuzzFeed quiz, working hard Mm. as always. Being like, which Heath Ledger character would be your boyfriend? And I got Patrick Verona. Shocking that one, as per usual. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's something about that, like, noticing someone in a new way. Because they're more noticeable, I guess. Um, The conversion. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, that really stood out to me, this idea that she noticed this very specific thing about him. And I think going forward, what I'll take from that is just like, just notice the nice things. It doesn't hurt anyone. You can just notice. It's fine. It is. It is. (laughs) I think it's, and also there's, I always say this, but there's no such thing as like a universal attractiveness. There's no one thing that makes somebody hot objectively across the board right but if you find something about someone that you really like like be it their hands or their like for me I'm a major like I love looking at people's hands I think hands are so fascinating um and so attractive I love a good sit like some forearms you know when a guy's rolled Mm -hmm. up his shirt yeah that's nice that's good like wrists and hands for me love it (laughs) love it I'm also a massive fan of a collarbone like a really good collarbone clavicle situation Hmm. yes Mm-hmm. I mean, even just the way we're talking, like, we have different things that we think are attractive. And that's like, there's nothing universal about attractiveness. I also just like the idea of Kath having something that she's like, she, there's a person in every class she goes to that she's kind of like mm-hmm. checking out. I love having these people who occupy certain spaces in your mind and being like, okay, I'm going to this class and that's where this cute person is and that's the person that I'm going to be obsessed with for the next half an hour. And then you go to a new location, like you go to your cafe and there's a cute barista and every day she gives you an extra treat because, you know, she likes you and she knows you. And then it's like, okay, this is my barista liking half hour and then you go somewhere else. You know, like this idea that you have people (laughs) that you can look at and like. Yeah, and like it's not objectifying, it's just appreciating, right? Right? Like that's the difference. The difference is not I want this for myself, but like I like that about this person. Yeah. 
You'd be like, I appreciate the set of those shoulders in that particular jacket. Yeah. Anyway, that was me. What have you got? Same, Same section. section. I love that Kath is having her spring awakening, although it's more of an autumn awakening. Cracks me up. So mine is also from page 88, and it's everyone was the last person Kath wanted to talk about. And I've kind of already covered the fact that one of the things about growing up is that we often begin to notice like potential romantic partners. Um, but I actually wanted to talk about the other side of that, where she just didn't want to talk about that particular new experience, that new set of feelings with anyone, because I really don't like talking about my stuff at all. So you mentioned earlier that you're like an oversharer who's a mystery, and I am exactly the same exactly the same so I feel like a lot of people think they know me really well but I then will not talk about things that are actually bothering me on a really fundamental internal level like on Wednesday when I was texting I'm like I'm going to tell Jen this and it's going to be really hard but she'll be lovely and you were and thank you but it was super hard for me to do that because I was like I feel like my internal struggles are internal for a reason like like they should just stay Mm. hidden so I'm gonna try and remember that unlike Kath I don't need to hold it all in and I can tell my friends because they love me and they want to know if I'm having a bad day or a good day and they're not going to think less of me and they're not going to think that I'm a burden if I tell them about these things. No, that's right. People yeah. will listen because we, we love, love you. Love you. Yay. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just interesting how we're always so willing to listen to other people, but when it comes to your own feelings, you're like, oh no, I can't go there. I can't yeah. share. I can't yeah. say this. Yeah, and look, I mean, I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday or the day before and they were having a really rough time and saying it's not any one thing and I'm like if you want me to just listen and not give advice because I tend to go overboard on advice they were like no no Mm -hmm. it's you know it's okay and I was like but I'm here to listen just tell me I'm so used to just like bullying it out of my friends that to be knocked back was a bit like oh right okay so I'm not entitled to know everything about everyone else Hmm. outrageous I'm such a good advice giver. You really, really are. And nobody has to take my advice. This is the thing. Like, I don't get upset if you don't take it. You should be an agony aunt. Do they still do those in papers? Yeah, Give yeah. advice? There's Dear the... Prudence on yeah. Slate, I think. You could do that. I think it was run by, I don't know if Dan- Daniel Lavery does it anymore, but for a long time it was Daniel Lavery, formerly of The Toast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would love that. I just want to help people. You help me all the You're time. Easy to help. You're just lovely. Sometimes I'm like, stop messaging Jen. <laughs> what are you doing? If I can't answer, I won't answer. So it's all right. Just text me anytime. Um, do you have a character you want to spotlight? Yeah. So I'm gonna spotlight Levi this week because I just really appreciate that he walks Kath home from the <laughs> library, that he teases her, but he's unfailingly kind, and that he thinks that that's a normal thing to do. He thinks it's normal mm. to talk to everyone. He thinks it's normal to be kind and. Yeah, he just doesn't think anything of being a nice human being. And I wish more people were like that. We just need yeah. more Levi's in this world. He is a delight and therefore he is getting my spotlight. This um, same. That's who I want to spotlight also. Yay. And for pretty much the exact same reasons. I love that he makes it a point to walk her to the library. And then if he's in her room, he'll walk her home. And he like he just wants to do that. He wants to be the nice guy. And he doesn't make her feel uncomfortable or weird or squicked out or anything. Or like she owes yes. him. Yes. And I think that she's putting up with him more and more and like letting him in grudgingly. But he's just happy with whatever he gets. And that's really beautiful. Yeah. Be like Levi. That's great. Yes, everyone. All of us. Me too. I could definitely be more like Levi. Just uh, what would Levi do? Okay, well, that's delightful. And next week we'll be reading chapters 9 to 12 through the theme of anxiety. So we're well primed Mm -hmm. for that one. We are pros. (laughs) Well, thank you for potting with me. This was super fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I apologize if you can hear the torrential rain on the pod, but we do My what we can. My windows are breathing because they're <laughs> so old and leaky. So they're breathing, so I'm getting lots of blowy air next to my head. That's fine. Keeps you mm, away. Exactly. Otherwise, I would be too warm and comfortable in my house. We can't have that. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'll chat to you next week. Great. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.